0: All right, welcome everybody to today's show. I have a uh, special guest today, Dr. Sarah Godfried, who is an expert in female hormones. And I was just telling her that she is the one that I normally send all of you to when you have questions about female hormones. I was telling her that I get questions all the time about where should I go besides you to understand about female hormones, female metabolism, weight loss specifically as a female And in my mind, Dr. Sarah Gottfried is one of the best. She's a New York Times bestselling author, a functional medical doctor specializing in female endocrinology. She's just wonderful in every respect. And Dr. Gottfried, it's good to have you again. Uh, We last met at uh, JJ Virgin's, uh, actually, no, it was Celeste Fine's wedding, right?
1: That's right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, You've got some great
1: dance moves, I have to say. (laughs)
0: Was I break dancing that night? I can't remember. Yeah, you were. I
1: mean, we had a lot of fun on the dance floor. I have to, I have to add
0: that. Uh, I appreciate that. So you have a new book out. Why don't you tell us a little bit about first your, your background, just a little bit so people who don't know you. I don't know why anyone wouldn't know you, but just in case they don't. And then a little bit about this new book. And then let's me and you get into some talk about how we can help women in particular sort of figure out this issue around Uh, their hormones uh, and metabolism and weight loss?
1: Well, the way that I got to this is I struggled with my own hormones in my 30s. So I was was one of those classic cases of a woman in her mid-30s and mainstream medicine just totally failed me. So I was struggling after I had my first kid. I had about 25 pounds of fat that I was lugging around that I was not happy about. I had premenstrual syndrome. I just was fatigued all the time. And I was working in conventional medicine. So I was seeing about 30 to 40 patients a day. And I I just felt like, you know, this is no way to live like this. I can't imagine that I'm going to do this for the next few decades. So I did what many people do. I went to my primary care doctor, had my list of woes and, he stopped me in my tracks with what he said. He said, Sarah, you know this. You just need to eat less and exercise more. And it sounds like you might benefit from a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor. And if you have any hormone issues, I would suggest a birth control pill. So that was one of those moments where I just was like, you know, first, I was ashamed. He even wrote on a whiteboard exercise more plus eat less. And I I just realized, wow, millions of people are being told this very same thing and it's wrong. So I left his office. I felt like, okay, I think there's some hormonal drivers here that I want to understand. Went to the lab, scienced myself, found that my estrogen was way too high. My progesterone was way too low. My thyroid was slow. My cortisol was three times what it should be. My fasting insulin was elevated to the pre-diabetes level. My fasting, uh, my fasting insulin was in the high 20s. My fasting glucose was at 105. My testosterone was low. My DHEA was low. So that's what got me started, Jade, with just saying, okay, the hormones are the root cause here. Like, I need to turn this ship around. And that's what got me on this path of looking at nutrition, what I put on my fork how do I move at the time I was running about four miles, four times a week. And that was not a good fit for me. It was raising the cortisol even further. And it got me to start thinking about the way that you construct your lifestyle and how much that can influence your metabolic hormones.
0: Yeah. You know, it's, it's really interesting. I mean, to hear you, to hear you who's been teaching this for a long time, tell, I haven't heard that story from you yet. Um, I don't know where I missed that. But what's really interesting about that is that that is ultimately how me as a man got dragged sort of kicking and screaming, you know, in my arrogant, (laughs) sort of ignorant younger years, working with female clients, treating them as if they were me, to be frank, and seeing that they were not uh, responding and then realizing that, hey, you know, calories might matter, but if we don't take care of the hormonal infrastructure and the things that are impacting things like cravings and hunger, and energy, and sleep, and mood, and all these other things, we're not going to be able to sustain anything. And uh, you can make this worse by creating a very large calorie gap by eating less and exercising more, which can be a stress. Now, obviously, this is um, something that you and I now spend our lives teaching. But still, after all this time, right? Because you and I have both been doing this, what? Like, when when, when did your first book come out? Mine was in 2010, right? And I know yours was probably around the same time or maybe slightly before mine and still- after. Yeah, a little after. And still today, right? You know, we're still dealing with people who are kind of getting this wrong. So one of the questions that comes up all the time, and I just want to hear your take on this, is this idea, we hear eat less, exercise more. um, And most people still- uh, whether they've heard you and I speak or other people like I, um, like us speaking on this, they still have a hard time getting out of that mentality. So can we talk just a little bit about what is so wrong with this model? Is it completely wrong? Is it partially right? Why is it failing um, so many people? I just want to hear a little bit about your insights on this. And then I want to kind of get into, you know, maybe some of the fixes and and or some of the ways that we begin to um, evaluate, you know, female metabolism in general.
1: I think you actually stated it perfectly, which is that calories matter, but hormones matter more. So we really have to look at this bigger picture of the role of metabolism, you know, that aggregate of all the biochemical Reactions that are happening in the body and how hormones dictate metabolism. So, I think that piece is really important. You asked, you know, is there any part of this that's right? We've got a lot of folks who've done a ton of research looking at calorie restriction, if we just look at calorie restriction for a moment. What we know is that calorie restriction tends to fail somewhere around 90 to 98% of the time, mostly because of hunger hormones and just this adaptation that the body goes through, particularly with adipostat in the brain, where you rev up those hunger hormones if you're restricting calories. Now, that story gets a little bit more complicated in women, especially, because that experience of calorie restriction can be very stressful. And so it leads to things like higher cortisol levels. And if you go back to my story, adding more cortisol to this perfect storm of being in my mid-30s with high cortisol, with high insulin, high fasting glucose, estrogen dominance, that would be a perfect storm for just ruining my metabolism even further. The other thing that happens is that women under stress, men do this too, raise their reverse T3. So reverse T3 in response to something like calorie restriction will then block the action of free T3. And that's something, you know, we, we have thyroid receptors on pretty much every cell in the body. It's one of the hormones of metabolism. So having a higher reverse T3 in response to calorie restriction is another reason why that just, that strategy doesn't work. So we know that there's other strategies that are much better. But I would say that calorie restriction doesn't work for a few reasons. One, it's hard to sustain. Two, it's stressful. And third, it affects your thyroid by reversing by raising reverse T3 and slowing down metabolism.
0: Yeah, yeah, you know it's interesting. I oftentimes uh, talk to people about the idea that there is a gap between calorie intake and output, and the wider that gap gets, whether you're the couch potato who's eating more and exercising less, or you're the dieter who's eating less and exercising more, that calorie gap on either end of that equation is registering as a stress to the system. And if the metabolism is anything, it is a apparatus that responds, senses and responds to stress. And so it is doing what it is naturally designed to do, which is keep you alive. And it wants that calorie gap to be relatively narrow. So one of the things that I've oftentimes told people is that You know, it's not that eat less, exercise more is a terrible idea. Uh, It's just that it is not something you can do for a very long period of time. In fact, it must be a pretty short period of time to reduce that stress on the system. And here's here's what uh, I want to ask you about being the expert in female hormones. One of the things I've always said, and I'm going to ask you to maybe you're going to disagree with me, maybe not. But I want to just see what your take is on this. I've always said that the way to think about this with women And I wanna ask the expert here, uh, the way to think about this with women in my mind has always been the female metabolism is a little bit more uh, refined and sensitive. And part of the reason that it is this way You can think of this just in a very simple way, estrogen and progesterone, two sex steroids dominating in women uh, compared to just testosterone in men. Obviously, women have testosterone and men have estrogen and progesterone, but it's very different in this way. And women are the gender of childbearing. And by that nature of being able and uh, needing to support two individuals rather than just one and bring, you know, basically a child to bear a woman's metabolism is a little bit more sensitive and reactive to stress, which is why eating less and exercising more or any extreme diet or exercise program can backfire on perhaps not all women, but on a significant amount of women. And so I want to see this. Do you agree with that? Do you have anything to add to that? Am I missing anything there? And, um, if you do agree, how do we begin to maybe correct this?
1: Yeah, I like, I like your framework for this because um, you're clearly someone who's been around a lot of women. And so you know how to talk about this in a way that um, I think invites conversation and invites um, engagement. So I like this idea of women being different than men. We're not just small versions of men. We've got these unique biological needs. You talked about pregnancy as an example. You know, the fact that that women carry a pregnancy brings with it uh, this other layer of complexity. So for example, with calorie restriction, if you drop below a certain level with calorie restriction as a woman, it'll shut down one of the hormones that controls ovulation. So that's known as LH, luteinizing hormone. It's one of those those hormones that we measure with the pea stick, like when you're trying to get pregnant, figure out your fertile window. So LH gets shut down in women with calorie restriction. We don't see that in men. So that's an example of one of the unique needs of women. We have to stay above a certain threshold with calories so that we don't lose that LH signal. Now that's less important after you go through menopause, but then there are some other issues that we have to contend with. So I agree with you. I think the role of ovulation, the role of this different hormonal symphony that's happening in women versus men, those are really important to consider. And when it comes to things like, you know, just looking at the balance of estrogen and progesterone in the body, women need a certain amount of fat. So what I found in my research, I see both men and women. I take care of professional athletes, CEOs, all different types of folks. But what I found is that women need, ideally, a body fat mass of about uh, a percentage of about 22%. That's considered sort of ideal when it comes to cardiovascular risk. Now, that's not ideal for elite athletes, but 22% is the number... That we tend to use for cardiovascular outcomes, cardiometabolic outcomes. And it's also important for the production of these hormones. Sex hormones have fat as the backbone. So you've got to eat sufficient fat. You've got to have sufficient fat in the body, essential fat, to be making these hormones. And that's one of the reasons why women athletes, for example, can run into trouble with what's known as the female athlete triad, where you know, when their fat drops below a certain level, they can lose their periods. They can then have bone loss and other issues related to that. Now there's some other factors too. We haven't talked yet about the transition that women start to go through right around their mid thirties to their mid forties. So that's this perimenopausal transition. And depending on how attuned you are, you may not notice it at first. Like sometimes it's just that your period gets a little closer together. Instead of 28 days, maybe it's 26 days. You might notice some mood changes. Maybe you're more irritable. You've got more premenstrual syndrome. And what's happening under the hood is that there are these subtle changes that are happening with your hormones. So typically what occurs first is that progesterone starts to decline. Progesterone is like that nature's Valium. It's sort of like nature's Xanax. It's a, it's something that helps you soothe yourself, but it's also a tango partner with estrogen. So you want to have a good balance between estrogen and progesterone that starts to change as you run out of right bags, which is typically between 35 and 45. Testosterone can decline in both men and women starting as early as your late 20s. And you may not notice it until you know, maybe you've got a decade of high stress, like many of us do in our 30s, and you can have a decline of up to 2% per year. So after 10 years, you know, that can be 20% decline, and that can be significant. Another thing that's occurring is that women tend to become more insulin resistant as they go through perimenopause and menopause. We see, for instance, a difference in blood sugar. Blood sugar tends to climb, insulin often will climb depending on how you're managing your lifestyle. And we see this difference in fat deposition. So women start to deposit fat less at their breasts and their hips and their buttocks and more at their waist where it's more inflammatory. So women start to change in terms of these metabolic hormones. And I've just mentioned a few of them, but of course there's many others.
0: Yeah, you know, it's interesting too. the interesting uh, thing that I'll point out to everyone uh, about LH. Um, this is not something that even occurs with extreme dieting. This can occur with even just very gentle uh, calorie reduction It's one of the reasons why I oftentimes say female uh, metabolism is a little bit more sensitive and refined because Um, Like Dr. Gottfried was saying, in men, you can have you need a pretty big uh, calorie gap before you start seeing some changes in testosterone and some of their other hormones. With women, you can have just a mild change in calories and see already begin to see this luteinizing hormone change. The other thing that's interesting, I'll just point out from my clinical experience, too, is that what a lot of women don't understand, especially younger women, is that there is a range. Right. So Dr. Gottfried mentioned 22 percent body fat. I've seen women um, with higher body fat run into problems with menses and women with lower body fat run into problems with menses. And there seems to be this individual sort of response that each woman's sort of body fat level Is unique to her. And so some women, you know, when you focus on just a number, you're missing the fact that you as an individual woman may not do well with that lower body fat percent and perhaps and this is just a guess in my mind, but perhaps elite athlete women or women uh, who are in that elite status can deal with a little bit lower Uh, body fat than maybe um, women who are not athletes. But of course, as Dr. Godfrey pointed out, they end up running into issues. And they are a really good model, in my opinion, for the extreme nature of diet and exercise. But it is interesting, right? Because your average woman probably isn't going to be in that category and will probably run into problems faster than someone who is an elite athlete, uh, in my opinion. And I love the way you describe, you know, these Uh, hormonal stages of life, right? You know, women go through four or five hormonal stages, men only go through really two, right? So there are some pretty, you know, sort of big uh, differences here. So one of the things that um, I want to talk to you about from my clinical experience is one of the things I've had good success with, and I know your book, I think, begins to cover this because I think it goes into a little bit of the keto diet and intermittent fasting and these kinds of things for women. One of the things that I had some of my best success with clinically with women is moving them as they got into perimenopause and progesterone fell and estrogen started to be volatile and then menopause where estrogen falls as well. And then post menopause, one of the things that uh, I began to do is instead of taking a predominant calorie counting approach, I began taking more of a carb counting approach. And I would say cortisol counting approach, where it's really looking at carbohydrate management and stress management as a primary sort of mechanism here. And so the first question is, is that uh, one of the tools that you also have used? And then I'm curious about, um, you know, using the keto diet and intermittent fasting and some of these uh, tools with women, because I think some people might think, hey, these are some pretty stressful Um, You know dietary regimes as well, and so how are they being used, and what can we uh, do with them, and what should we be looking out for with them,
1: Doctor Tia? I feel like it—it almost sounds like we wrote this book together because we're we're so similar and so aligned. So what I found is that uh, with working with patients over the past 25 years, I found something very similar. So I think we've arrived at a, a. you know, the same place in, in many ways. What I, what I found with the ketogenic diet was that the carb restriction was too stressful for a lot of my patients. So starting, I would say about seven years ago, I started to, to begin to see so many folks who would come to me and I thought of them as keto refugees, people who tried the ketogenic diet They would go 70, 20, 10, 70% of their calories from fat, 20% from protein, 10% from carbs, and it just wouldn't work for them. And I saw this in a lot of women who would go on keto with their husbands or partners or male colleagues from work. The men would get all the benefit. They did not. They would stay at the same weight. They would maybe lose a little weight initially and then gain it back, or they would gain weight or they would get more inflamed, or their biomarkers would become abnormal. So this got my attention. And whenever that happens, I always think, well, why don't I try this myself? And so my husband and I went on keto. This was back in about 2015, 2016. And similarly, he dropped about 20 pounds. And I lost some weight initially and then gained it back. And I was so frustrated because I was checking my ketones every day. I was in ketosis. I was following the rules of classic keto, but it wasn't working. And I noticed that my microbiome was suffering. That's something that I tend to check about once a year. And so when this happened, I realized that hmm, maybe keto needs to be adapted for women, for women to be more successful on it. So that's what got me started with looking at that classic ratio, macronutrient ratio, and starting to tweak it. So I tweaked it myself. I did another round of keto. And what I found at that point was that uh, I was starting to experiment with carbs a little bit. And I found that it worked better in terms of gut health, and it also worked better in terms of detoxification, but I was still eating too many
0: calories. Sorry to break in. I want to cover one of my sponsors, Organifi. Now, look, I'm a little embarrassed to admit this, and many of you who know me well know this, but shockingly, I cannot stand vegetables. I really do not like vegetables. I have not liked them since a child. I think it has something to do with my mom who cooked everything just boiled. Boiled everything, no salt, no fat, no taste, period, period. And so I developed an extreme dislike for almost all vegetables. And still to this day, I have a difficult time getting in my fruits and vegetables. Well, Organifi started by my good friend, Drew Canoli, who I've developed a relationship over the years. And I am really sort of tickled that we finally get to do this together with Organifi sponsoring the Next Level Human podcast. Drew is a Next Level Human. Organifi is a Next Level Human company. I can't say enough about them. I'm excited for them to be on board as a sponsor for the Next Level Human podcast. My favorite products, let me tell you about them. They have a ton, but I use three pretty much every day. I use Organifi Gold before I go to sleep. This is their turmeric tea based on sort of the old Ayurvedic golden milk. It is absolutely fantastic. It contains lots of different relaxing herbs, turmeric, Taste wonderful. And one of the things this has done for me is I had a very bad wine habit at night. It started out as just one glass of wine. Lately it's turned into two, three, and sometimes a bottle. What I've done starting in 2021 is use Organifi. This is what I have in lieu of wine, and I sit there just like I used to sit with my wine, and I have the Organifi Gold. I also use the green and red juice powders. I have never liked greens and reds juices period these powders to me always tasted like swamp water i use one scoop of the greens one scoop of the reds first thing in the morning before my coffee it has become a a ritual over the last several years it is fantastic those are the ones i use the most of course they have a great line of protein products and they have a new Organifi Gold Chocolate, which I have not tried yet, but I cannot wait to try that because you all know I love cocoa powder and use it for lots of different things, for cravings and everything else. Check out Organifi. Organifi.com. Use the code Level. Please take care of Organifi the same way they're taking care of the earth, doing amazing things as a company, and now taking care of the Next Level Human podcast so we can all be together and have these discussions. Organify.com, use the code next level. I want to ask you a question. If you had to follow your friends around who are not the healthiest in the world and see what they are doing, what would be the number one thing you would probably tell them to do to start? For most people, that's going to be drinking more water, right? This is something that we talk about all the time in health and fitness. It's almost as if we Think of it as an afterthought now because obviously water is so crucial. However, we oftentimes get this wrong. For example, did you know that when it comes to hydration, just drinking water can make things worse? Most people don't know this. Why? Partly because most people are over-drinking water and under-consuming the electrolytes that help water do its job. What we don't realize is that hydration is not just about water. It's about electrolytes, the minerals in there, as well as getting that water into the cells. And so you do not want to be over-consuming water if you're not getting your electrolytes right. And this opens up a whole new discussion because most people are not getting their electrolytes right for example did you know that low sodium too low sodium is an issue just as much if not more so than high sodium in other words what we want if we're going to get the right electrolytes is to get the right amount of sodium and potassium and magnesium in the goldilocks zone we don't want too much we don't want too little we want it just right This opens up a whole other thing here, too, because people who are exercising, doing sauna therapies, doing low-carb diets are disrupting and losing lots and lots of their electrolytes. For example, when insulin is not around in low-carb diets, you will excrete lots of sodium. In other words, under that state, exercising, low-carb diets, all these things, you actually need more sodium. And so if you're somebody who has been just drinking water, not paying attention to electrolytes and also feeling fatigued, feeling like you're underperforming, not sleeping right, getting cramps, twitches, headaches, any of these things, then you are probably dealing with an electrolyte issue. This is where the product element comes in. This product has been a game changer for me and many, many of my patients and clients this is a rehydration electrolyte beverage basically it is a powder of electrolytes formulated with a thousand milligrams of sodium 200 milligrams of potassium and 60 milligrams magnesium without the added sugar and other nonsense that comes in beverages like gatorade this stuff is basically a rehydration beverage on steroids it is the thing that is going to replenish your electrolytes in the right ratios decrease fatigue, really correct chronic dehydration. And by the way, many people are dehydrating themselves, becoming hyponatremic, low sodium, when they're consuming too much water. You need your electrolytes on board, especially if you are someone who is losing lots of sodium and other electrolytes through low-carb diets and lots and lots of exercise. This is where element comes in element is a new sponsor to the next level human podcast i cannot recommend this product enough i have been using this stuff for months now and i have immediately seen changes in my energy levels i feel like i'm operating on a whole other level and i have seen this as being the primary thing that people who have been using element have been telling me that their fatigue is getting better especially fatigue that comes after very intense workouts that involve lots of sweating and lots of intense output from the nervous system please check out element use the code next level drink element.com that's d-r-i-n-k-l-m-n-t.com drink element.com and let's get back to the show
1: and so i had to i had to cut back on the calories to really be successful with keto, not by a large amount. So you were just talking about, you know, the change in total calories. Now that affects LH is not as low as you might think. For me, it was like 1300 calories a day. So I had to stay in this somewhat narrow range with total calories, as well as with macronutrients. And what I found was really helpful was to focus on about 25 or less net carbs per day. So I started to experiment with that, with the idea being that those carbs were primarily from non-starchy vegetables, so broccoli, cauliflower, lots of lettuces, dark leafy greens, all the colors of the rainbow with different vegetables, detoxification, getting detox in place first, because I think women especially need that, and then really focusing on getting the right sources of fat and protein. So I started to alter the macros. And what I found is that when you have this pillar of detoxification first, and then you layer on nutritional ketosis, and I usually follow like 60 to 70% of calories from fat, no more than about 21% from saturated fat, and we can get into the reasons for that, uh, less than 25 net carbs per day, the remainder being protein. And then you also layer in intermittent fasting what you get with the intermittent fasting is a backdoor to ketosis, as you will know. So the intermittent fasting then allows women to get away with eating some more carbohydrates so that they're able to take care of preventing the, the cortisol effect, you know, that rise in cortisol that happens with calorie restriction or with carb restriction, as well as the reverse T3 effect. And then it, it also helps to feed those benevolent microbes that we all have in the gut things like acromantia that are a keystone species for glucose and insulin metabolism, that was a combination that seemed to really work. So that's the four-week protocol that's in the book. Those are the three pillars.
0: I love that. You know, one of the things I I saw initially with men and women um, with the keto diet in particular is, you know, um, this may go over some people's heads, but I know you'll probably get this. I just want to share it with you. And But in the gut, we have bacteria that make, you know, what is called endotoxin that can be absorbed into into our system. And one of the things that I began to see when I quickly move someone from a standard American diet, you know, uh, where they have all these gram negative bacteria producing LPS, this endotoxin, and then dumping a whole lot of fat into the system all at once. Well, obviously, LPS, this endotoxin loves fat. And so what I saw is that people would be achy, joint pains keto, you know, quote, keto flu. And I did something very similar to what you did is I started putting them through a detox uh, first to try to adjust some of the microbiome, deal with some of the liver effects, help them um, essentially deal with what's coming. It's almost like conditioning the metabolism to get ready for uh, ketosis. I, I, I like to envision it almost like, you know, this, this very uh, thin, uh, cold, you know frozen rubber band you try to you know pull that apart it's going to snap versus this big thick rubber band that you can move around it's almost like the metabolism needs to have some degree of flexibility before you really begin to push on it so yeah it's it's so funny Sarah you and I are so in alignment i think with some of the things we've done but i too began to when people were like hey i really want to do keto i'm one of these people that i'm kind of program agnostic i'm like we can do whatever you want to do the proof will be in the pudding of results However, if you do want to do keto, or you do want to do some of these other things. There are some things that we should do ahead of time to make sure that it is something that will work and not create some negative effects. And so I really sort of love that approach uh, simply because it's just talking to to an expert here and saying, oh, okay, she sees things similar to me, makes me feel a little bit better about some of the things that I'm doing. One of the other things that you said, and I want to. Just push on this a little bit um, so that people can understand why you're doing it. Um, Because similar for me, carbohydrates, whereas sometimes when you go super low with those, what you would see is, especially with women, this will happen with men too, is difficulty with sleep, cortisol levels going up and things like that. And so what I began to do as well is oftentimes slowly bump up the carbs just a little at a time to control sleep and sometimes time them with the nighttime meal only. So I'm wondering, uh, can you explain a little bit more about that? And in, in, are you doing it the way I'm doing it? Are you doing it somewhat different? Are these the reasons for it? Or are there other reasons that you're you're working with uh, carbohydrates?
1: It's a great point about sleep because, you know, that's that's one of the things I see really commonly with those keto refugees, that they're just not sleeping. You know, the benefit of ketones when you're in nutritional ketosis is that you're creating this metabolic flexibility. So you're able to flip the switch back and forth between burning glucose or burning fat, depending on the type of fuel that's available. So when you're producing ketones, especially if you've been stuck in the sugar burning mode for a long time, when you produce those ketones, most people notice this tremendous mental acuity, you know, just like, oh, like you can hear the angels singing, you know, you've got focus and concentration like you haven't had for decades but it can backfire and it can make you too energized at night. And I think um, in terms of understanding the reasons for that, I don't totally know. I don't know if it's related to cortisol, if it's related to the carbs being too low, is it related to melatonin and insulin? I'm not sure exactly what the root cause is, but I definitely see it. So I have been experimenting with that a bit. I love how you talked about being program agnostic, say the same thing like i am diet agnostic i'm food agnostic whether you're plant-based or carnivore there's a way for us to work together to figure out what's going to be the best fit for you and that kind of n of one specificity where you serve as your own control that is the primary tool of precision medicine which is what i practice i'm the director of precision medicine at thomas jefferson university at the marcus institute of integrative health and so really dialing that in, I think is important in terms of timing of carbs. I think that gets somewhat complex because there are some people who will have more carbs right before they go to bed. They find that it raises their serotonin. It raises their melatonin. They sleep better, but then there's other people who've got a change to the signal in response to carbs And they sometimes do better with more carbs in the morning. So part of the work that I like to do is to understand with precision how each individual reacts to the food that they're eating. Now, I know you've done a podcast with Casey Means. She's a good friend, I think, of both of ours. And I've been using a continuous glucose monitor in myself as well as in my patients for about four years And that's where you can really dial in the specificity. You don't need it. Like you don't need to spend hundreds of dollars to get this information, but wow, it just really changes things in terms of hacking things like your sleep and really understanding, okay, when is the best timing for my carbs? You know, for me, I do better with carbs in the morning. I just know that for my insulin, you know, throughout the course of the day and my glucose throughout the day, I do best with carbs right before I exercise. I don't go running like I used to. You actually cured me of that particular chronic cardio problem. Thank you very much, Dr. Tita. And so when I fuel with carbs right before I exercise, as well as, you know, within 30 minutes afterwards, that's where I get the best response. But, you know, I'm really open to what is true for the individual. That's what I'm curious about.
0: Yeah, 100%. Same with me. I oftentimes say, you know, we really need to be metabolic detectives. And that's really what it's about. Stop being a diet or start being a metabolic detective. It doesn't surprise me that um, it's it's similar for you. I I really feel like really good clinicians, uh, eventually, if you have enough clinical contacts, you realize that Uh, research is a tool for averages, but it is not a tool for individuals. And so one of the things that people will say to me oftentimes I'll be like, well, what about the research that says, you know, time restricted feeding done in the morning is better where you have, or when you have your biggest meal in the morning, it's better or your biggest, you know, carbs at night, like these mechanisms that we oftentimes can get caught up on, I've seen the exact same thing. It's like sometimes they work beautifully and you can extrapolate directly from the research to the individual that's sitting in front of you. And other times it burns right down to the ground and you have to look at that particular individual. So I think what's beautiful about what we're talking about with you, your work, and this particular book is it's essentially saying, one, women are different than men. No, duh. However, science, yeah. we everyone goes, well, no, duh. But it's a big deal because science really hasn't made that distinction until very recently, despite the fact that people like yourself have been doing this work for a very long time. Science is really catching up. And then this idea that not only are women different than men, but each individual woman is different. You know, a younger woman is not the same as a more mature woman, depending on the stage of life they're in. And then each individual woman is different than every other woman. And so, It's really nice from my perspective to see an expert like yourself sort of breaking this down. Um, However, we write books, right? One of the things that you and I do is we educate uh, the public. So your new book, woman, women, food, and hormones basically gets into this. One of the things about writing a book is that it is one of these things that you have to write for a very large audience, right? I'm sure if if we all sat down with Sarah and she was going to, you know, take an intake on us, she would look at us as an individual. But when you write a book, it's harder to Um, sort of do that. And so obviously, with this book, this, you know, I know, having written written books and things like that, usually your latest book is the latest and greatest in terms of your understanding and clinical experience, because of course, it's always evolving. Science is always evolving. Um, All your work is amazing. But this book in particular, walk us through um, sort of this, uh, the general uh, aspect of this. So you talked about the idea that there's some detox here, um, tweaking some of the You know, sort of fat loss nutritional protocols like uh, ketosis and intermittent fasting. Uh, Is there exercise in this? It's a complete, you know, sort of program for women who are stuck, which is one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on because. One of the things I was saying to Sarah before we all we jumped on with all of you is that and you and all of you have heard me say this before, is that, you know, this is a woman working with women. Right. You know, I'm a man working with women. I can't do the same work Sarah does because I simply don't know what it's like to be a woman. And so all of that is in her work, which is why I want to introduce you all to her. But what would you say? Who's who's this book, uh, you know, sort of best for who? Who, who did you primarily have in mind? When you wrote this one.
1: Well, let me say first, Jade, that we love you. Uh, we are so grateful for all the work <laughs> that you do on behalf of all womankind. I just want to thank you for the attention that you give us, especially when it comes to metabolism. Mm-hmm. So this thank book you, is, friend. is really designed for women who are struggling with metabolic health. So there's this emphasis, you know, that the people who come to the book tend to be people who have weight loss in mind and i want to unpack that a little bit because i don't want to contribute to diet culture i don't want to contribute to the tropes of women needing to be thinner taking up less space on this planet i think if anything women need to get bigger in terms of mission and healing this planet so the focus is really on metabolic health and what is unfortunate is that about 88% of Americans are metabolically unhealthy. Most of them don't even know it. So some of them have gotten a diagnosis of pre-diabetes from their doctor. They've got this fasting glucose that's been rising over time, like I was having in my thirties, but a lot of folks don't know it. They don't realize that their triglycerides are too high or that they're, uh, you know, I the cutoff for pre-diabetes is a fasting glucose of 100. For diabetes, it's 126 on two occasions. But you start to have problems with metabolic health with a fasting glucose of 85, 90. So there's, there's this whole backstory that's occurring before you even get some of those diagnostic uh, criteria met. So this book is really for people who want to improve their metabolic health. They want to assess it and like know how to work with that. The lovely downstream benefit is that you lose fat as a result of becoming more metabolically healthy. So you asked about what's in this book besides the nutritional piece. There's the three pillars that we talked about, the detox, the nutritional ketosis, and then the intermittent fasting layered on. Definitely exercise is part of this. I would say the way that you eat, move, think, supplement, love, your mission in the world, your purpose, all of that is part of this book because I just can't write a book otherwise. It's just the nature of who I am. So movement is definitely part of it. I shifted from in my 30s being one of those chronic cardio people who would like get on the elliptical and go for an hour. I shifted to doing mostly uh, resistance training. So I do about two thirds resistance training, about one third cardio. That's the, the mix that I think works really well for women over the age of 35. I'd love to get your take on that too. And then, you know, I think it's really important to be thinking about your metabolic health, to be tracking it. So the, you know, the people who do the protocol in my book, who are paying attention to metabolic health, maybe they get one of those $25 glucose meters and they're looking at their fasting glucose. They notice that they're 95 or 105 when they started. What they see after going through the protocol is that their fasting glucose is more in that 70 to 85 milligrams per deciliter range, which is, in my mind, metabolic health. They're finding that their fasting insulin is starting to drop. It's getting into that four to six range where I like to see it. They're noticing that um, if they measure their postprandial insulin, that's one of the first things that changes when you become metabolically unhealthy. In fact, it can change... Years and years before your glucose starts to change, they're noticing that that's starting to drop. So it's really designed for people who want to create metabolic health. And I would say metabolic health is your engine. It is the most important engine. No matter what your mission is here, it's a mission. It's it's the power behind you. It's the wind at your back. And I think it's very hard for us to achieve what we want to achieve in the world. Unless we've got metabolism behind us. So that's who it's really for. A lot of folks, you know, I would say you can't actually look at someone's weight and know if they're metabolically healthy, right? I mean, they're they're two different things. It's certainly true that the more overweight and obese a person is, there's a higher risk of being metabolically unhealthy, of metabolic dysregulation. But there's also skinny fat people. So you can't look at weight as the measure of metabolic health.
0: Yeah, You know, it's interesting. It's like I call this a metabolism first approach. And so what Dr. Gottfried is really doing here, if you're listening to her, she's essentially saying, look, there are some very particular situations that go on with metabolism. We have to heal the metabolism first so that you can lose the weight. Now, most people are doing it the other way around. What they're doing is they're saying, let me go on a strict, crazy diet which if you're listening carefully to um, Dr. Godfrey's story in the beginning, that oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes, more often than not, I would say, as you get into, um, you know, sort of more mature women and men um, who are dealing with aging and uh, the accumulative effects of stress, that can be an extra added stress that's actually doing more damage and dysfunction to the metabolism. And that's the catch 22 that I think um is really beautiful about the way that you're approaching this um it's basically saying let's heal the metabolism and then you know we should be able to see some accidental weight loss and in that case that's the way it should be it should not be this constant back and forth of let me lose some weight and then let me gain it all back and also then the idea is not just losing weight but gaining some muscle and Uh, you know, losing fat in particular. And I'll just say briefly, I agree with you 100%. One of the things that um, I have moved to primarily, and this really was uh, women teaching me this, um, resistance training and walking, uh, primarily what I have found. And I think the research bears this out is that about 25% of women, uh, who take up a cardiovascular program, like running and things like that will see some results with that. They will see some weight loss. The other 75%, um, do not. And about 25% of those actually end up gaining weight. And we actually have a a very large scale study that shows this there's about 25% of women who actually gain weight Uh, if they change nothing with their diet, and then just start running. And it's not that running is making them gain the weight, it's that the running is triggering hunger and cravings, which is causing overcompensation, which is causing them to gain the weight. And so uh, from my perspective, it's this Goldilocks effect, right? It's like giving the body enough stress to help it adapt, but not so much stress that you're doing dysfunction to the metabolism. This is what's beautiful um, about the work you are doing. So the, the book is um, give us the name of the book. And it just came out, right? It came out in September. Uh, uh, it's end of September, right?
1: End of September. It's called Women, Food, and Hormones. And we were very fortunate to make it on the New York Times bestseller list for a couple of weeks. I've got- congratulations. Um, yeah, it's been a ton of fun. Mm. Yeah.
0: Well, Dr. Godfrey, where can, if people find you, um, other than getting the book, which all of you should do, especially this is one of those books that again, Dr. Godfrey is not, you know, um, one of these people that is, you know, uh, pushing the diet agenda she's really uh working very hard to help you understand metabolism and heal your metabolism so in a sense i don't oh i don't see your work as dieting in a sense i see it oh as, good yeah i never you have that. you know yeah <laughs> i i never i never have and um i appreciate that but if they want to those who are not familiar with you and I, there's a lot of professionals that sort of watch this i'm hoping they'll get onto your work where's the best place to find you do you spend a lot of time on social media where else can they? Uh, interact with you?
1: Yeah, the best place is my website, saragotfriedmd.com. The place that I hang out the most right now is Instagram. So that's a great place to interact with me. Uh, my daughters are teaching me about TikTok. I'm still, I would say, <laughs> uh, somewhat lame at TikTok, but I'm over there too. And, you know, trying to help people with metabolic health on both places.
0: I so appreciate you. You, You're just a gem and um, appreciate all the learnings that you have given over the years. Love you to death. Thank you so much for being on. And I will see and talk to you soon.
1: Thank you so much, Jade. So happy to be with you. Thank you.